It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. My dear friend, presentation after presentation in this series, Philosophy's Achilles' Heel, demonstrates how God has opened himself up to be tested on whether he truly exists. Last week demonstrated that not only does God exist, but he is relentlessly pursuing us that we might respond to his love. Nebuchadnezzar responded to God's revealing by making a decision to serve him forever. And we now move to Daniel chapter 5. We will once again see God revealed in astounding ways. In fact, let's begin in Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, which takes us 23 years after the death of of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Can you imagine the scene? Partying and feasting, all interrupted by the handwriting on the wall. And once again, the question of who is the true God continues to be agitated in Babylon. The question has been settled over and over again in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar stated in Daniel 2.47 that Daniel's God was a God of gods, and a Lord of Kings. In Daniel 3, after the God of heaven rescued the Hebrew young men from the fiery furnace, the king stated, there is no other God that can deliver like this. 
And yet again, in Daniel 4, the king not only intellectually acknowledged the God of heaven, but he fully submitted to him as well. Yet the decision of Nebuchadnezzar is not passed along by genetics to Belshazzar, who was his grandson. Once again, God's love is seen to not force or coerce. And now with this new leader in Babylon, who was in a position of power, God is giving opportunity to either accept or reject the overwhelming conviction of his existence and plan for his life. Dear friend, he does the same with us. It doesn't matter what your parents believed. It doesn't matter what personal decision you have made. The question is, what is the decision you will make based on the evidence? It is evident from this story that Daniel has had no communication with the new king. In addition, it appears that Daniel is no longer president of the wise men. We cannot know for sure, but it would appear that because Belshazzar is completely opposed to every political principle and every religious principle that Daniel stands for, that Daniel has been marginalized in the kingdom. But the queen mother tells Belshazzar about Daniel and that he should be brought to interpret these things. Daniel does come to the palace. And Daniel reminds Belshazzar of his grandfather's journey in verses 18 to 23. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Although you knew all of this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. As Daniel recounted God's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, Daniel mentions the main reason for why the issue of who is the true God continues to be agitated, even though it had been settled. Very simply put, the reason is pride. The pride of the king led to self-glorification. 
It was the pride that led Belshazzar to praise the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It was the pride of Belshazzar that led him to get rid of Daniel as the president of the wise men. It was the pride of Belshazzar that led him to continue to rely on the wisdom of his wise men, even though he should have known better. It was his pride that led him to desecrate the vessels of God's house and showing that nothing was too sacred for him to handle. And it was his pride that led him to choose to forget all of the history of Babylon and what had happened to his grandfather. And although pride may attempt to ignore the facts of history, in the end, it cannot deny them, nor can it deny the living God to whom they point. I wonder, I wonder how many of us today are doing the same thing as Belshazzar and his lords. Instead of allowing the facts of history to confirm the prophetic statements of the Bible, many choose instead to escape the lessons from history by further drowning their convictions in alcohol, sex, sports, and the gods of this world. But the revelation of God is powerful and convincing. God reveals himself here to Belshazzar and the court of Babylon through his prophet Daniel interpreting the handwriting on the wall. Listen to Daniel 5, verses 25 to 28. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. The fall of Babylon was a highly improbable event. With Nebuchadnezzar as king, Babylon had reached the pinnacle of its power. Now, even though the rulers that followed Nebuchadnezzar were weaker and inefficient, and although the Medes and Persians had earlier crossed the media line in the Battle of Opispi, defeating Babylon, the truth is Babylon was still the ruling power in the world. Now, furthermore, the city of Babylon itself was considered impregnable. The inner city alone had a size of about one square mile. In the northwest corner lay the royal palace, and south of that, the sacred precinct of Esagila, in which stood Etamanaki, the temple tower. This tower was 300 feet square at its base and more than 300 feet high, and it was built in seven stages, having on top as its seventh stage a shrine dedicated to the god Marduk. Atamanaki means the foundation stone of heaven and earth. Nebuchadnezzar rebuilt and extended the palace, adding, among other things, a vaulted structure with a roof garden called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon were known in the ancient world as one of the seven wonders of the world. 
He added a new city to the inner city and connected it with a permanent bridge. He surrounded the new city with a double wall and moat that met the wall and a moat that protected the inner city. It is estimated that the height of the walls was between two to 300 feet and 87 feet thick. Furthermore, the gates of the city were made of solid brass with a total circumference of about 10 miles. Babylon was probably the largest city of antiquity. It is estimated that the city had provisions that could last up to 20 years. In fact, the land within the limits of the city were sufficient enough to furnish food for the inhabitants and the garrisons for an indefinite period of time. Also, since Babylon sat upon the great Euphrates River, it had an endless supply of water. Babylon was impregnable. Babylon was undefeatable. The Medo-Persian Empire was growing strong, but certainly they were nothing to fear. Even though Belshazzar knew of Cyrus's plans to take the city, he had every confidence in those strongly fortified walls. He had every confidence in his armies and his supplies. He well knew that the city could never be taken with any of the conventional means of warfare known at that time. Therefore, he threw a grand party and feast for a thousand of his lords. For Daniel to predict the fall of Babylon back in Daniel 2, when everything looked like it would last forever, was highly improbable. But again, to interpret the handwriting on the wall, for God to know that the city would fall is as equally improbable. For Cyrus, general of the Medo-Persian armies, the only way to get into the city was to find where the river Euphrates entered under the walls and somehow gain access. Cyrus's favorite horse had been killed in one of the battles with the Babylonians, and he was so angered that he resolved he would take the city. To accomplish this, he would utilize a strategy that was not your typical take-it-by-force method. He learned of an annual festival in which the whole city would be given up to mirth and revelry, and he determined that it would be the day to carry out his purpose. Then through a marvelous feat of engineering, Cyrus developed a plan in which he would divert the waters of the Euphrates River from its channel. On the evening of Belshazzar's party, he detailed one body of soldiers to turn the river at a given hour into a large artificial lake a short distance above the city. Another he sent to take their station at the point where the river entered the city and a third to take a position 15 miles below where the river emerged from the city. The two later bodies were instructed to enter the channel as soon as they found the river fordable and then in the night to explore their way beneath the walls, press on to the palace of the king where they were to surprise the guards and kill the king. And friends, this is exactly what happened. 
in direct fulfillment of the handwriting on the wall. On the very night of Belshazzar's party, Daniel informed the king his kingdom would end. And in fact, the Medo-Persians would enter the city that night and the king was slain. This all happened sometime in October of 539 BC when Cyrus entered the gates and took the city without any real battle. And Babylon, the impregnable city, fell. The fall of Babylon was a highly improbable event. Almost impossible. Belshazzar's partying, carelessness, and presumption led to Cyrus's men being able to reach the gates in the river, which had been left open. No one saw that the level of the river had suddenly gone down, signaling their impending doom. However, even more amazing is this. The prophet Isaiah, almost 150 years before the event took place, predicted with stunning accuracy not only the fall of Babylon, but also the manner in which the city would fall. Let's take a closer look at Isaiah chapter 44, verses 26 through chapter 45, verse 4. Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers? who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built. And I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break it in pieces, the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you though you have not known me. In addition, we find these words about the fall of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 21 and in verse 2. A distressing vision is declared to me. The treacherous dealer deals treacherously and the plunderer plunders. This is a description of the work of Babylon then later in verse 2, Isaiah hears the words, Go up, O Elam, besiege, O Media, all its sighing, I have made it to cease. And then in verse 4, the prophet Isaiah's fright regarding the destruction of Babylon reflects that of Belshazzar. And here's what it states. The night of pleasure hath he turned into fear unto me, 
And then later in verse 5, he sees the feasting Babylonians. The passage declares, prepare the table, set a watchman in the tower, eat and drink, arise, you princes, anoint the shield. And then in verse 9, the prophet declares, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. Then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. More than 150 years before it happened, the prophet Isaiah, number one, names Media as one of the two nations that would come against Babylon. Two, and even more astonishing, is that Cyrus is called by name. Think about this, friend. Identifying the nation that takes over Babylon 150 years in advance is quite a feat. But naming the very general by name who would lead the army adds a significant layer of complexity to this prophecy. Isaiah even predicted that the Euphrates River would dry up. This fact alone would be almost impossible to predict. Isaiah foresaw that the gates of the city would be opened. He saw the drunken night of pleasure. He heard the declaration that Babylon had fallen. And finally, he foresaw that Cyrus would grant permission to the Jews to go back to their homeland and to rebuild the temple. Dear friends, this is truly remarkable. You know, some respond to these remarkable things in several ways. First, some will say that the book of Daniel was written in the second century BC. Now, part of the reason for this is that the only place where Belshazzar's name was mentioned was in Daniel 5. Therefore, they say, the entire story is fictitious. Furthermore, the critics have undermined the credibility of the book of Isaiah by believing that the book that bears his name was written by two or three persons at two or three different times. But both of these criticisms have been convincingly answered by archaeological and historical discoveries. Cuneiform tablets have been discovered that make crystal clear the fact that Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus, who was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and that he indeed was the king of Babylon, as Daniel asserted. Also, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls has unearthed the entire book of Isaiah, laying to rest the assertion that this book was written by other redactors. The real reason for why critics of the 19th century Enlightenment period rejected the 6th century date for Daniel is philosophical. It was the result of Immanuel Kant's criticism of reason, and then many critics and liberal theologians believed it was impossible for God to communicate with the prophets. They believed that this means of predictive prophecy would be impossible. Yet, Daniel is real. Belshazzar is real. The fall of Babylon is real. And all that occurred in the 6th century BC is real. Now, some others will say that all of this was simply coincidence. Yet, friends, to take that position is not any different than believing in miracles. 
At this point, we need to remind ourselves that this ancient story is another amazing example that sets the Bible apart from all other forms of literature or communication. As we have elaborated on in past programs, the reason is really quite simple. The highly improbable nature of this prophecy, which includes at least seven specific predictions, not only points to the existence of God, it also points to the Bible being the authentic word of God. Only the Bible gives evidence, evidence that can be tested that only God himself can pass. Dear friends, Belshazzar felt safe within the walls of Babylon and scoffed at the idea that Cyrus had any chance of invading the city. This general feeling of peace and safety is also characterized by many today who feel secure within their own religious, political, or philosophical walls. But they are no more prepared for the end of things than was Belshazzar. Perhaps the Apostle Paul was thinking about Belshazzar when he wrote those words in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-3. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Friends, once again, God has demonstrated. He has demonstrated beyond measure two very important things. One, he is real and he does exist. Two, he cares for you and he wants to be in relationship with you. That same hand that wrote the handwriting on the wall, it is the same hand that bore the nails of the cross for you. What stops you today from entering into relationship with him? The evidence is clear. The day is today. And the time is now to accept God as Lord of Lord and King of Kings in your life. Dear Lord, help us to believe and help us to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Dear friend, Time after time, God is revealing himself. He's revealing himself to us today. I want to offer you the book, The Thought Makers, that you might study more about God and understand how he's revealing himself today. Here's the information you need for today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at 
It is written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. My dear friend, the Bible says that God is patiently waiting for us. With open arms, he's inviting us. Time after time, he reveals himself to us. He longs to have an experience with you and for you to have an experience with him. Thank you so much for watching this week. I invite you to join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you.